The Onyx One Month DAP program evaluated Resolute Onyx DES in about 1,700 complex high bleed and risk patients with one month DAP. Visit Medtronic.com backslash Onyx One program to see the data. Resolute Onyx DES is not currently indicated for high bleed and risk patients on one month DAP in the United States. You're listening to Heart Sounds, TCTMD's award-winning podcast hosted by Shelley Wood. Hello and welcome to the March 2021 edition of Heart Sounds. This is the podcast where I tell you about some of the top stories on TCTMD and let you listen in on some of the interviews my team did in order to pull those together. This month I'm mixing up the format once again. No matter where you are in the world, with a few exceptions, you're probably watching COVID-19 vaccines roll out, but not quite as fast as you'd like them to, given the rise of new variants, some with what seems to be increased transmissibility and worse illness. But at the same time, you may also be seeing and hearing what I am, which is colleagues or acquaintances or family members expressing concerns about vaccines or saying they don't want to get vaccinated. I am struggling with this. I'm not in line to get my first dose of a vaccine until early summer, and I would give my right arm, or at least a pinprick's worth, to get it sooner. Rather than getting angry or hypertensive about this, I figured I'd invite some folks on the podcast to tell me a bit about vaccine hesitancy, and in particular, what information they could share that might help allay people's fears or answer their unspoken questions, potentially helping physicians and others like you provide clear, effective information to counter some of the noise and misinformation that seems to circulate so swiftly on social media. Joining me today are two physicians from UC San Diego. Dr. Francesca Torriani is the Program Director of Infection Prevention and Clinical Epidemiology and TB Control at UC San Diego Health. Ori Ben-Yehuda is a cardiologist and associate physician at UCSD and the executive director of the Clinical Trials Center at the Cardiovascular Research Foundation, which is also the publisher of TCTMD. Thank you both for joining me on the Heart Sounds podcast. I'm going to start with you, Ori. I'm hearing a lot about vaccine hesitancy among my colleagues and friends, but what about you? Are are you hearing from this amongst your patients, uh, family members? Is this as big of an issue as the news is making it out to be? I I think it's definitely out there. And I have to say, I've been gratified to see that the majority of my patients have not only uh, been enthusiastic about getting the vaccine, but many have already been vaccinated and they come to clinic a lot more relieved. But there definitely is a minority that is vaccine hesitant. And uh, then we've had some very uh, in-depth discussions and I'm happy to report that in most of them, I've been able to convince them and they've walked out saying that they will get the vaccine. We'll have to wait and see. And of course, my influence is only part of the picture They're very exposed to other sources of information, some that are very unreliable, to put it mildly, particularly on the internet. So I'm not sure that one conversation is enough, but um, most of them told me, and I think this is the key takeaway, that they want information. When I give them information and my interpretation, particularly when I show them some graphs um, and I ask them which curve they would rather be on, the curve that has infection and possible hospitalizations and death, 
versus the curve two weeks after receiving the second shot where the protection is just really fantastic. And um, many of them are convinced, but to your earlier point, there are two main questions are, what are the long-term side effects? And why is this quote not approved by FDA? Oh, and yeah. we have in-depth discussions about the regulatory process. And um, it does take an effort. I have to take a deep breath uh, before these conversations. I have to stay very calm about it, respect their initial viewpoint and try and provide them with facts. And I found it to be very effective. It can prolong the visit. If it's a return visit and our return visits are 20 minutes, they can get more prolonged, but I think it's yes. so worth it. Francesca, I'd, I'd love to hear from you because certainly part of the fear factor that Ori's just referred to, I think is this idea that these vaccines, they're not FDA approved, they're, they're new, they're untested and they're scary for those reasons. Can you speak to that point? What, what can physicians be telling their patients in terms of how untested these vaccines are? I think probably you're referring to the mRNA vaccines, uh, which construct is very new for vaccines that uh, prevent uh, infections, infectious diseases. The concept is not at all new for therapies that are used to boost the immune response against a certain antigen. And th these therapies have been, the mRNA uh, constructs have been used in uh, very successfully in cancer medicine and in um, additional therapies to give to patients with very advanced cancers. Uh, and the concept is really that you find something that is particular to that illness, whether this is a cancer or is uh, another or is an infectious disease. And for instance, for the COVID mRNA vaccines, this would be the spike protein. And so you, you find that construct and then you insert uh, with, a, with an immunization, this very small group of proteins that then gets recognized by the body is not incorporated at all into our cells or anything. It's just there, our own cells see it and then basically produce the antibodies and produce certain T cells to go and destroy this. And the yeah. memory of this then remains for, we believe as long as one year. And anytime there is exposure to the spike protein, for instance, then our own cells will go and, and destroy it. And that's a, it is a revolutionary concept because we haven't used it in infectious diseases, but we have been using it very successfully in cancer therapies. And I think this is something that is not known. Yeah, it's a great point. I mean, I knew that it was tested in things like Zika. I remember hearing about it, but I'd forgotten about the link with chemotherapeutics. So it's a great point. The other one I have also heard in terms of people being, oh, I'm not gonna have the vaccine yet. 
you know, they're waiting to see mm -hmm. if this will prove to be not just efficacious over a year, but what are the long-term hazards? Or are you hearing that kind of thing as well, that they want to just wait and see how everyone else does? <laughs> right. And I think that it's okay to see how others are reacting in an acute manner and subacute manner. Acutely, we know that the side effects are very manageable, and I actually see it as probably a good immune response have a lot of side effects. My wife did. She had a fever. I wouldn't call it a lot. She had a fever for a day. She took some, some Motrin and felt absolutely fine afterwards. I was disappointed that I did not have a more robust fever, but we know, we know that women tend to have slightly more of these systemic reactions to the vaccine, which are part of that immune response. So we have information about the acute response now in millions of people who've been vaccinated worldwide, literally millions, including uh, latest numbers in the US are around 100 million who have received at least one shot, which wow. is fantastic. So we have that experience in thousands and millions of people. We have experience over several months showing maintenance of an antibody response and, re and protection against infection. Uh, I don't think that it's wise to wait many years because the risk is now. We have to treat that risk both as individuals and as a society. I want to add something to what Francesca said. And to me, it's, I think, a very important aspect. People have this notion, our patients have this notion that this form of, of immunization or any immunization is something that's very bizarre. It's not part of what our bodies are used to. And I explain to my patients that we're exposed to antigens all the time. This, and we produce antibodies all the time. If we didn't, we'd have to live in a bubble like the bubble boy type patients with a severe com combined immune deficiency. We, on the other hand, are fortunately able to produce antibodies. This is just a very effective way for us to produce it in an efficient way the vector, the mRNA vector does exist, does make our cells produce more antigen for a short period of time, and then it stops. It doesn't modify our DNA, it doesn't change our cellular structure, and because of that, it's a very efficient and effective way, but it really just capitalizes on what we do every day as we're exposed to antigens, that it's really part of our normal immune response to react this way. Uh, there they understand it more. It's not something from outer space. Yeah, okay. Francesca, what about down the road though? Can you assuage our, our fears that maybe this is doing some sort of long-term effect? I gather that's something people are worried about. Right now, you're correct in the sense that most of us have not seen this virus. And because this virus changes and mutates, the probability is that even if we had been exposed and gotten infected with coronavirus, that immunity would last only a couple, three months, while the immunity from the vaccine appears to be much more durable. As Ori said, there has been now, you know, about six months to nine months uh, experience with this particular vaccine. So it's not that we're just starting now. And there's been millions of people vaccinated. What we have seen in our 
cohort of healthcare workers, we started to offer vaccine in mid-December of last year. And more than 80% of all of our healthcare worker force uh, has been fully vaccinated. What we did see when we looked for infections as, as we tested every week, all of our workforce, we saw that the number of infections decreased very much by tenfold. And, and then when we were at more than two weeks after the second vaccine, actually only seven of about 14,000 healthcare workers tested during that week were positive. So that really tells us that there is protection and nobody has grown green antennas at this time, I'm happy to say. And, And really what it has brought is the concept of really having protection within a certain community. And that is why we are reaching out to, co- to the rest of the community as much as the California state will let us do, meaning patients who meet criteria. Now we're really reaching out and vaccinating everybody uh, meeting criteria for vaccination and who want to be vaccinated. I would not wait I would not wait to see because that means that if I'm, you know, in my 40s and I have diabetes or I have obesity or I have a heart condition or I have a cancer or I'm pregnant, my chance of having, of needing to be hospitalized, my chance of dying from COVID infection, my chance of infecting my loved ones because I'm infected are much, much higher uh, without, uh, without vaccine. Right. And, and that is, you know, if we want to get out of this, of this pandemic, the whole world needs to get vaccinated. And we think that approximately 70 to 80% of one given population will need to be vaccinated and immune so that transmissions can't occur. Yeah, you have answered my last question, which is really that whole notion of of getting back to normal, because as I understand it, and we hear this obviously from different sources, but unless we reach that level of vaccination, we'll also see more mutations, we'll see more variants, and that's part of the concern right? For the young people, the ones that are 20 years old and saying, well, even if I get this, I'm going to be fine. You know, what is the message to them given the concerns of the persistence of this virus? So I think that as variants emerge, it's not only that the vaccine won't work, but also the few medications we have available to decrease the chances of bad outcomes also will not work, right? So when we talk about the Uh, monoclonal antibodies that basically have to three times less the probability of of needing hospitalization, even in very sick patients. So that chance is going to go away 
if we let the variants take hold. And the only way of fighting the variants, and the reason I think that the US is at a better level now of, of infections, is to vaccinate populations in a very short time. That's why I think that President Biden's focus on getting vaccines in arms by the end of May in, uh, in all people living in the United States is extremely important. Because yeah. if we wait too long, we won't be able to eradicate. So we'll need other vaccines. We we'll yeah. need other constructs. And so we'll never, it will never get out of it. Yeah. Ori, how do we, how do you convince everybody to get their vaccine? I don't know that I have the magic answer to how to convince everyone, but it's really those that are actually going to be asymptomatic or will have less severe disease that have a lot of reluctance or hesitancy. And they're the ones that we really need to convince because they will have the variants emerging because they're spreading it. So in my opinion, we really need to put a lot of effort in vaccinating the young, because I have to tell you that my older patients are going very quickly to get vaccinated. It's the younger ones that are voicing vaccine hesitancy, and that is a real danger to them ultimately, to their family members, and that's where I emphasize to them that it's not only about them, it's about their grandmother and their mother, who might not then be immune to the new variant that they're the ones who are going to be spreading. And so it's so important. And I'm personally aware of some really tragic stories. I really wanna encourage our listeners to take a deep breath and to not be overly confrontational with our patients who are vaccine hesitant. We can be, there are some that we won't be able to convince, but if we're able to convince eight or nine out of 10 who are willing to listen to us, but we have to be patient with them and provide them with the facts and the dangers of not getting vaccinated, we will succeed ultimately because we will reduce the infection rate. And there's this concept of R that is very used widely in Europe, less in the US, which is how many people does each person likely to infect? And you want the population R to be less than one so that it starts getting fewer and fewer infections and not spreading as much. And in populations that have been vaccinated, Israel is the prime example. Even three weeks ago, the R was above one. It's now 0.6. And the number of hospitalizations and the number of positives per day is going down. And life is essentially back to normal. And that should be the goal. And again, we need to really calm people's fears, but if we do it in a confrontational way, as much yeah. as I personally sometimes have this eagerness to do so, I'm, I wanna tear my hair out, but I can't do it. And we have to take a very professional and calm approach. And then I do see results. Yeah, I too have felt really angry um, about some of the conversations and things I've heard. So it's a good reminder from you both that I also need to keep my blood pressure low about it. And I'm not even a physician, so. Thank you both for sharing some of your knowledge about this with me today and with our listeners on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for giving us the opportunity. Thanks, Francesca, and, and thanks, Thank Shelley. Bye.
That's it for the March edition of Heart Sounds. There was plenty of news on TCTMG that could have made it into the podcast this month. Back in the first week of March, Caitlin Cox did a story about the $45 million sexual harassment lawsuit hitting Oregon Health and Science University. Caitlin reached out to a range of cardiology leaders to find out what processes are in place for helping people come forward with assault complaints and whether those pathways are actually working. We also have virtual meeting coverage from both the CRT and ISC meetings that you can find via the conference tab on tctmd.com. If stents, valves, or brains are your jam, you might want to check those out. I myself delved into a story on outdated and offensive language in the cath lab after being tipped off by an exchange on Twitter. If you happen to think it's long past time for interventional cardiology to drop terms like deep throating or inflating to manly pressures, you'll want to read this one. Search crude awakening to find my feature story. Last but not least, we are celebrating a sober anniversary. March 23rd marked one year for our COVID-19 dispatch. This task has fallen to TCTMD's Todd Neal almost every weekday for the past year with me stepping in to help from time to time. I really hope the dispatch remains a useful resource for staying up to date on developments in the global pandemic. Big thanks to the TCTMD news team for their hard work day in, day out, to Dan Goodman in the CRF studios for producing this podcast, and to you for tuning into Heart Sounds. Hope to see you back here next month. Do you love listening to Heart Sounds? Check out all new original content from TCTMD featuring Talking Points with Dr. C. Michael Gibson and Rocks Art Radio with Dr. Roxanne and Moran. All new episodes are available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and SoundCloud.